You stand on the shore of the ocean watching the tide come in. You sense the call of the sea beckoning to take you further. You step forward little by little, not knowing what to expect, but expecting more. You keep going as the ocean calls, calls you to enter in to deeper waters. Everyone and welcome to the Deeper Waters Podcast. I am Nick Peters, your host, seeking to bring you the very best in Christian scholarship and apologetics. And today we're talking about a topic I don't think we've talked about before, but it's one of my favorite topics because while my main emphasis is history and such, I do have a background interest in philosophy, and if there's any philosopher I deeply admire, it's Thomas Aquinas. And today we're talking about Thomas Aquinas in modern science. What does Aquinas have to do with what's going on in the world of science today? Isn't he a little bit outdated for that? Well, I've brought on a a guest who wrote the book Aquinas and Modern Science, Gerard Verschulen, and my apologies to him if I keep butchering his name, but he wears many hats. He's a scientist, a speaker, a writer, and he serves as a consultant. He has a doctorate in the philosophy of science and today serves as a human geneticist. And as of 1994, he lives in the southern part of New Hampshire. Dr. Vashiran, welcome to the Deeper Waters podcast. Thank, thank you. It's my pleasure. Well, if my audience doesn't know who you are, can you tell us a little bit about how you got to be doing what you're doing? As, uh, as you said already in the introduction, I am a human geneticist. Um, I, uh, I studied philosophy of science and I gradually got away from the very what they call the positivistic branch of philosophy. And I um, uh, I found, I discovered Thomas Aquinas. Mm-hmm. And I um, I must say, I admire him as much as you do. You know, philosophers are usually known that for making very simple issues very complicated. Uh, Aquinas does the opposite. He takes complicated issues and make them very simple by making good distinctions, by mm-hmm. using common sense. And that's what I like about him, and that's why he is so important for science, I would mm-hmm. say. Well, let's uh, start by looking at him. For my honesty, he doesn't know, who was Thomas Aquinas? Yeah, he, um, he lived in the, the 13th century. Um, he was born in 1225, mm-hmm. and he died in... 1274, so he was not even 50 years old when he died. So he, um, he he did a lot of work during that short period of time. He he was uh, he was an Italian. He was born near the great Benedictine Abbey of Monte Cassino, which which got very well known during World War II because it was bombed. Uh, so he um, he lived between Rome and Naples. He uh, he he was uh, uh, he entered Monte Cassino. He did his studies there, and his family was hoping he would become a Benedictine monk. But he decided he wanted to join the order of preachers, which are called the Dominicans. And um, that group was new. His parents didn't like that. His family didn't like that. But he continued, mm-hmm. and then he went to Paris to study philosophy and he also went to Cologne in Germany and his famous teacher there was Albert the Great who um, who made him very interested in Aristotle and Aristotle the old Greek philosopher was basically the the foundation for Aquinas's philosophy mm-hmm. he um, um, you know if you want to know a little bit more about the man himself um, G.K. Chesterton Mm -hmm. wrote about him he was a huge heavy bull of a man fat and slow and quiet very mild and magnanimous but not very sociable so his fellow Dominican friars they referred to him as the dumb ox so to which his teacher Albert the Great said the dumb ox will bellow so loud that his bellowing will fill the world. Mm. And I would say those words were 
prophetic. That's why mm-hmm. you and I are still talking about him and so many other people. I've uh, read Chesterton's biography of Aquinas, simply called, I believe, Thomas Aquinas, so anyone can find it easily. And I've heard Etienne Gerson, the great Thomistic scholar, actually hated that book. And he said, I hate it because I have been studying Aquinas for 50 years and I don't think I could write a biography that good like Chesterton did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Chesterton was, uh, he was a very gifted writer, mm-hmm. and, and he knew Thomas Aquinas very well too, mm-hmm. but, uh, but he was also very honest, uh, like the story I just uh, told you is, is very honest about the man, but uh, that is, the, you know, the anecdotal part of Thomas Aquinas. He, he, mm-hmm. was, he was a, a very um, good scholar. At the end, when he died, he said on his deathbed, he said uh, he, he he said a prayer and he said, God, I uh, I have done many things in my life. If I said anything that was not right about you, please forgive me. So that was his humility in the midst of his brilliance. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's another part of Thomas Aquinas that, uh, that many people would like to mm-hmm. hear. Yeah, but you know, that was about 800 years ago, Neri. Why does Aquinas matter today? I, I think one of the main reasons is that his 30, 13th century world was as turbulent as ours is. Mm-hmm. His world was confronted with an influx of new ideas coming from the Muslim world. And our world is constantly being inundated with new ideas, particularly coming from scientists and atheists. Mm-hmm. His world also saw the sudden rise of universities. Our world sees an explosion of sciences and their sub-disciplines. Mm-hmm. His time was marked by dubious philosophies. Our time has been infiltrated with skepticism, secularism, and relativism. Mm -hmm. His era was a time of tremendous change. Ours is also in a permanent instability. His world had lost faith in reason. Ours has too. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of parallels between these two centuries. And what makes Aquinas' philosophy so important is it is a philosophy of common sense. And that's what we have almost lost, especially in philosophy. Mm-hmm. I, I always used to tell my students, don't touch anything in a physics lab. Don't taste anything in a chemistry lab. Don't smell anything in a biology lab. And I would like to add, don't believe anything you hear in a philosophy department. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of philosophers have lost common sense. And that's where Aquinas comes in. He, um, he introduced an Aristotelian kind of philosophy, but he, as some say, he baptized it. He made it into the Christian framework of his time. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where his power is. His metaphysics uh, is very, very important for us. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm glad you use that term metaphysics because that's something that a lot of people don't understand. But some people think metaphysics is just this catch-all term for a bunch of nonsense about stuff and things like that. But at the same time, even though that's wrong, we still need to know what is metaphysics exactly. Yeah, to to, to explain how the, the word started, the, the prefix meta, which means after, indicates that these works of Aristotle come after the chapters on physics that that was done later on one of the editors of Aristotle uh, Andronicus of Rhodes he he has placed that book after the books on physics and he called them metaphysics after physics mm-hmm. but it has so some people think that it's the science of what is beyond the physical Th- mm-hmm. that is not Right. right. Metaphysics is something else. But I, I agree with you, it has become a very ambiguous term. Nowadays, many associate it with New Age philosophy, mm-hmm. uh, all, all kind of other kind of things. But to, to put it in a nutshell, Aquinas himself would say metaphysics studies being as being. Mm-hmm. It is the relationships between the essence of something what it is, and the existence that it is. That's that's an important distinction, because 
if something has an essence, that doesn't guarantee its existence. Mm. So we we have to to find out what is the essence of something. Yeah. Uh, so and then he comes up with. Uh, two different poles. Uh, let me put it, the, ma- the main important distinction is between matter and form. Each and every individual thing is composed not only of matter, but also of form. So what endures when things change, what endures is the matter. So we, uh, when we change, and we constantly change every day, new cells are being made, other fa- things are uh, die off, uh, th- the matter stays the same. What changes is the form. So when we talk about human beings, a person, that is a, a unity of matter and form. A body without a form is a corpse. Mm-hmm. A soul without a body You could call that a ghost. But Aquinas would say they come always together. And that's what metaphysics is about. It is about what is behind the things that we find, for instance, in physics, in biology, in genetics. So it it is an important thing. And, And some people think that metaphysics is redundant because physics... There's all there is and tells us all there is in this world, which is a very, I would say, a very narrow-minded view of this world. It gives physics a power that it doesn't have. Mm. I know it has a lot of power. I'm the first one to say that. But it does not have all the power we could ever think of. It cannot explain all the questions we have in life. It has no answer for all the questions in life. Its power is that it limits itself to questions it can answer but it cannot deny other questions mm-hmm. so if you if you want to hear what the big difference is between physics and metaphysics um, physics has very general statements for instance all iron expands with heat Mm. And we test that more and more and we find more examples and more and more clearly we say that is a very good general statement. But metaphysics works with universal principles, not general statements, but universal ones. Like all expanding of iron has a cause. That is not something we discovered in an experiment and we don't have to repeat those experiments all the time. We know that all expanding of iron has a cause. And that is what metaphysics tells us. It gives us universal principles. And um, Thomas Aquinas was great at that. He gave us many universal principles and that we don't have to support by repeating and repeating experiments. Mm. So I, um, I, I always like the example that the philosopher Michael Augars uses as an analogy. I have not inspected every instance of the number six he has, Yet, I'm convinced that the universal statement every six is even admits no exception. Mm-hmm. I don't have to worry that I will ever find a case that does not have a course. Mm-hmm. I don't have to have to worry that someone in Australia has an odd six in his pocket. So, that is the power of metaphysics. And people who reject metaphysics, and I must say, unfortunately, many scientists do, they reject it on metaphysical ground. Mm-hmm. Every rejection of metaphysics is based on a metaphysical viewpoint regarding what the world really is like. Even a, a, a very materialistic philosopher like Bertrand Russell, he said, all that physics gives us is a certain qu- equations giving abstract properties of their changes. But as to what it is that changes, which is metaphysics, and what it changes from and to, Their physics is silent. So physics and any other kind of science is by its very nature incomplete. It requires interpretation within a larger metaphysical framework. Mm -hmm. I I do want to give a little bit of a pushback there because there was something I wasn't sure I was understanding, right? How you said the form is what changes the matter endures and such. 
Because I was thinking that, you know, if a human being has something happen to them, like say they lose an arm or something in an accident, their matter changes, but they still have a form of a human being. Am I understanding that wrong? Yeah, yeah no, I, I, I think I said that wrongly. I, I, I don't quite recall how I said it, but you are right. The, the, the form remains mm. and the matter changes. Mm. Every second, the matter changes. So you, you were perfectly right. Thank you for correcting me okay. if I said that wrong. Okay. Yeah. Now, the thing is that here we've been talking about Aquinas in modern science, but we know Aquinas lived in a time when, hey, most people thought that the sun went around the earth, and chances are Aquinas shared this view, I mean, was a dominant view. There's no serious reason to question it. I mean, why should we take someone seriously on modern science who believes something like that? I, I can see that is a very important question, and probably many people have that question. Mm -hmm. But let me correct first the idea that Aquinas thought that the sun went around the earth. Maybe he did think that, but we also have to see that he also said somewhere that Ptolemy's theory of the sun is circling around the earth would one day be superseded by a simpler explanation hmm. because says Thomas Aquinas since all such theories are based on hypothetical reasons hmm. in his own words maybe the phenomena of the stars can be explained by some other schema not yet discovered by men so he was not a simple geocentrist right. a person who said that that's wrong yeah. and, and, and besides uh, yeah, I know. He was not a scientist himself. But we, first of all, we have to realize that the term scientist did not even exist until mm -hmm. 1833. Mm -hmm. when, when William Wewell coined that term. As originally, the term science simply means knowledge. Mm -hmm. So for Aquinas, science included metaphysics. So he... Um, he was not a scientist himself, like his teacher was. Albert the Great was also a scientist. He discovered um, all kinds of chemical stuffs. Mm -hmm. he, he, he did much more, but Aquinas himself was not. Although he, I must add, he did add some important studies on motion. He held that velocity uh, uh, is uh, somehow a, a continuous quantity. He taught that if a vacuum were possible, motion through it would still take time, which is an important physical idea. And he also uh, prepared somehow Newtonian physics and Einstein's general relativity physics. In, in my book, Aquinas and Modern Science, and explained that in more detail. Mm -hmm. And he regarded gravitation as the natural motion of a heavy object to its place. So there is much more science in Aquinas than you think. He also studied magnets. So, but again, you are right. He was not a real scientist. But what he did for science, and I think that is something that we should never forget, that science is possible because there is a creator who made this world the way it is. And by saying that, he opens nature and this universe to exploration. Mm -hmm. And he was an important step for science to make this study possible. Uh, uh, in many other religions than Christianity, there is no development of science. It never developed a scientific approach. Uh, maybe technical issues, uh, but never a scientific approach. And I think part of that we have to plead uh, um, Aristotle for, but most of all, most of all, Thomas Aquinas. He mm -hmm. opens the world of nature for science. Mm -hmm. So he was not a scientist, but he was the preparer of scientists. Mm -hmm. well, I'm glad you mentioned Aristotle, because when we look at Aristotle, I mean, so much of his physics today we can look at and say, well, that's just wrong. It's really outdated. If his physics didn't stand the test of time, why should we think his metaphysics would stand the test of time? Um, again, physics changes all the time. Uh, a century ago, many physicists were told, even Max Planck, 
who uh, who discovered the quantum theory, he was told that there was nothing more to discover in physics. Mm-hmm. And we, we know better now. So anyone who claims that anytime should think about that. And there were many more scientists who were told, please don't study physics. It keeps changing all the time. Mm-hmm. Metaphysics does not change that much. So Aristotle's metaphysics is still a common sense approach of what is going on behind science. Scientists produce knowledge, but the question, what is knowledge? Mm -hmm. When scientists construct laws, what are laws? What really are they? That is not a physical question or a biological question, it's a metaphysical question. And, and, And when we say that every effect has a cause, all cases have similar effects. That is not a scientific issue. That is a metaphysical one. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the laws of nature are somehow engraved in the universe. And that's what metaphysics can tell us. That's, uh, that's why even uh, Albert Einstein said, the more I study physics, the more I am drawn to metaphysics. There is no good science without metaphysics. For science has certain convictions or what I called earlier universal principles mm-hmm. in, in the terminology of uh, Thomas Aquinas. Uh, they, they tell us what nature is like. Scientists assume, for instance, that this universe is intelligible for us. Where does that come from? And that it's a universe of law and order. How, how do we know that? Did we do experiments to find that out? No, we can only do experiments because we know the universe is intelligible and there is a universe of law and order. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be that way. So even science is a metaphysics-based enterprise. Mm-hmm. It's only because of our trust that nature is law-abiding and intelligible in principle that scientists have reason to trust their own scientific reasoning. And that is my answer to your question, how can metaphysics still be relevant when the the physics of uh, of Thomas Aquinas was partially outdated. Oh yeah, Uh, a year ago I was very outdated on genetics Mm -hmm. (laughs) because genetics changes by the minute. Mm-hmm. But the metaphysics behind it are still the same. And so we, we have to distinguish them very much. And the problem is very often that physicists and metaphysicians use terms in a different way. In physics, they speak of a vacuum. In metaphysics, we speak of, for instance, nothing. Vacuum is not the same as nothing. And nothing is not the same as mm-hmm. vacuum. Mm-hmm. Is that an answer to your question? Yeah. I'd like to remind everyone that uh, you're listening to the Deeper Waters Podcast. I'm here with Gerard Verschulen talking about his book, Aquinas and Modern Science. Now, if you're here next week, we're going to be talking about the purity movement. Actually, now, as you all know, fans of the show, I do believe in waiting till marriage and such. It's very important, but sometimes we could give a wrong message, even in that case, about that back in give many young people the wrong ideas about themselves and about marriage. We're going to be talking with someone who was, who's had to, had to go through that. My ne- guest next week is going to be Rebecca Limke talking about her book, The Scarlet Versions. For now, let's get back to uh, Dr. Verschuren talking about Aquinas and modern science. Now, for the sake of argument, and I'm, I'm guessing this means we could go through Aristotle's physics, and even if everything in there is wrong, his metaphysics is still sound, possibly. Correct. Correct. Yeah. And I think I would like to clarify something else. And 
let something else be known. First off, since we've talked some about medieval science, if anyone is interested in that, uh, go back to the first year of this podcast. I interviewed James Hannum on his book on medieval science and how science was actually practiced in the medieval period. There were no dark ages, as it were. But second, when we talk about the limits of science, some people would say that we're, we're inserting science, we're putting science down such. This isn't any insert of science, is it? No. Uh, as I said, science has its, its very limited approach, but mm. it's, it's good in its own limited approach. And, and as you, you, I'm glad you mentioned the book of Hannon because he, uh, he shows very clearly how the idea of science develops in our middle ages that, that some still call dark ages. They were far from dark. So um, there is definitely a, a very important metaphysical position that mm-hmm. allowed science to develop. So yeah. I agree with you completely. Yeah. Saying that... Science doesn't has its limitations. It's kind of sounds to me like saying, because when I'm reading a book, I don't practice mathematics. Mathematics is therefore useless. No, math is good for what it's good for, and science is good for what it's good for. Correct. Now, all this, of course, is talking about epistemology, and epistemology for those who don't know is. The study of knowledge. What is it? How do we know things? Things of that sort and such. What was Thomas Aquinas' epistemology? Mm -hmm. Um, Let me say first, because we have been inundated by philosophers like David Hume, René Descartes, Mm -hmm. Immanuel Kant. um, And we all have ended up as Kantians followers mm-hmm. of Kant. Mm-hmm. We don't know things in themselves. Indeed, we don't even know that there are things at all. And that development started three centuries ago, and it has been detrimental. The philosopher Alfred North Whitehead called it the uh, bifurcation. The reality, it divides the reality in an external world, consisting of things that can be described in science, etc., and an internal world of the thinker or observer. Mm. The, 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 the worst example of this kind of thinking is David Hume. He, uh, he says that we, we don't know things in themselves. We have just habits. Each time we see the sun come up, that is not a causality relationship. That is, there is no cause and effect involved. It's a habit of our mind. Imagine, I always say, when uh, engineers build a bridge that works and another engineer makes a a bridge that falls apart, do they have different mental habits? No, they are just using the wrong knowledge about things. So how can we say that for Aquinas? Aquinas has a very sound common sense philosophy and epistemology. He says, the starting point of all knowledge is that we absorb knowledge first through our senses. Ooh, mm-hmm. there is science again. We do experiments through the senses. And then the senses provide the material that the intellect processes. And the intellect is a term very important in um, Thomas Aquinas' philosophy. Uh, Sense experience begins in the senses, but it's completed in the intellect. Mm -hmm. So, to know is to know things, not to know mental abstractions. Mm -hmm. So, what a thing is, says Aquinas, will determine what it does. And there is the thing is again. It's about essence. What a Mm -hmm. thing is, determines what it will do. So when when we see a, a, a ball hitting another ball, that is not a mental uh, habit we have, for because the thing is what it is. It cannot easily jump over it. It cannot go through the other ball. It cannot go around the other ball unless we do that on our own. Mm-hmm. So the the laws around us, laws of nature are independent of our thoughts. They are dependent on the reality. Mm-hmm. And uh, the theories of science not only show how nature behaves, but why it behaves exactly as it does. There is not a different sun rising every morning. Mm-hmm. We know it's the same sun. 
So that is my answer to your question. What is the epistemology, the, mm. the, the, the basis of our knowledge? Mm. Yeah, I think Hume would even say, something like if you throw a ball through a window and you see the glass shatter, that we, we can't know that the ball caused that. And I think Aquinas would look and say, of course it is, because that's what a ball is and that's what glass is. Of course, yes. That's what what Thomas Aquinas literally says. Of course, that's what it is. Because we we know the or the essence of both things, of glass and a ball, as you said. Yeah. And I, I have had Benjamin Weicker on the show before, talking about his book, How to, How to Think About God on a Plane. But he also wrote a great book. My roommate gave me for my birthday several years ago, one of my favorites of uh, 10 books that screwed up the world and five others that didn't help. And one of the books they put on there was uh, René Descartes' Discourse on Method. Yeah. Now, when we're talking about modern science, let's get into it, because one of the big debates in science is about the universe. We all know it's here, but how did it get here? Did Aquinas have anything to say about that? Oh, yes. He, he did, very explicitly. First of all, I, as I said before, Aquinas makes important distinctions, for otherwise we get very confused. So he said there is a philosophical issue of creation and there is a theological mm-hmm. issue. So the, the theological issue tells us that there was a beginning of the universe. Uh, in, I, I, I forgot the year, but the, the fourth Lateran Council... I think it was in 1215, solemnly proclaimed that God created all that is from nothing. Mm -hmm. And that this creation occurred at the beginning of time. For scientists, that was horrible to hear. Mm -hmm. For for almost two centuries, they denied that there was a beginning of time. Even Einstein at one point couldn't believe there was a beginning of time. Mm-hmm. So when when the the the, 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 the priest Lemaitre uh, came up with the Big Bang theory, mm-hmm. uh, Einstein said that that's nonsense. That's not possible. He he was fair enough to later on say I I made a mistake. It's possible. But again, uh, the, the universe could be eternal in a f- philosophical sense. Not in a theological sense, but in a philosophical sense. Mm-hmm. So uh, Aquinas said, it is possible that there was an eternal universe. For it doesn't matter. Creation just means that God is in charge of everything and he keeps it into existence at all times. Whether it was eternal or not eternal, we always need a creator who made it the way it is. He makes another important distinction between producing and creating. Most people use these two terms interchangeably. But Aquinas says, science is about producing something from something else. It is about changes in this universe. Mm -hmm. Creation, on the other hand, in the philosophical sense is about creating something from nothing. And that is where the word nothing comes in, Mm -hmm. which is not a change at all. Certainly not a change from nothing to something. So when God creates, he does not take some no thing and changes into something else, like chemists change water into hydrogen and oxygen, but it means bringing everything into being and into existence. In other words, nothingness in philosophy especially in uh, Aquinas' philosophy, is not a highly unusual kind of exotic stuff Mm -hmm. that is more difficult to observe than other things. It's not some kind of element that has not found a position in the periodic system. Mm -hmm. It is in no way a material thing that can change. And therefore, we cannot treat no thing, nothing, as a something. Mm -hmm. And this confusion between something and nothing has invaded the whole discussion about the Big Bang and everything. So so people like uh, Hawking, Stephen Hawking, or he, Lawrence he proclaims that we don't... Sorry, what did you say? Or Lawrence Krauss. Yeah, oh, oh yeah, correct, mm-hmm. yeah. And uh, so he keeps saying that we don't need creation anymore because uh, a, a vacuum explains everything. He's teaching a vacuum, he's 
treating a vacuum as a nothing. So when, when an electron and a positron collide, they can uh, annihilate each other mm. and change into nothing. But that nothing is not literally nothing in the philosophical sense. Mm. Nothing in philosophy is literally a nothing. But in physics, it is something. Even a vacuum is something. Mm. As a, a Stephen Stephen Barr, oh, I, I, I admire that uh, physicist very much. He's a particle physicist. Mm. He uses the analogy of having a bank account. He says a bank account with no money in it, even if we have nothing in the bank, we still have a bank. We have a bank account with all that comes with it. So when a physicist talks about a vacuum, it is still a bank account, though there is no money in it. This kind of nothing is different from having no bank account. So who creates the bank account to use that analogy? The creator. Mm-hmm. The creator made sure that out of nothing, something came. And then science can study how that something changed and changed and changed and that is the big bang story Mm. so the big bang story is not about creation at all it is about not creating but about producing Mm. creating something else and that's why the discussion about the the beginning of the universe is so confusing uh, because they don't use very important uh, uh, Thomas Aquinas distinctions so Uh, As I sometimes say, when we talk about creation, we have to talk about Thomas Aquinas. remind when at this point you're listening to the Deeper Waters podcast and everything I do here is listener supported and I really encourage you to be a part of that so if you want to uh, go to my website deeperwatersapologetics.com and you can see a link that says help support for work of Deeper Waters Christian Ministries you click on that you go to the ministry of risen Jesus you've gone to the right place those are my in-laws Mike and Debbie Lacona you make the donation there and then you can get in touch with Mike or Debbie or myself or my wife, Allie, and say, hey, I made a donation. I want to go to Nick Peters. I want to go to Deeper Waters. Okay, we'll get that, that donation and they'll pass it on to us and it will be tax deductible entirely. You can also go on Amazon and buy some ebooks that I've either written, such as A Creed for the Ages, The Apostles' Creed in Today's Christian, or you can buy books that I've had a hand in a co-author, such as Defining Inerrancy, or Groundless, looking at Dan Barker. And then, finally, guys, especially, we have a jewelry store here. And for that special lady in your life, you can buy a piece of jewelry. And if you need my help on getting access to the shop and everything, just let me know. And 25% of whatever you purchase for that lady in your life, it will go to the Ministry of Deeper Waters. So, guys, the way I see it, you can uh, buy something for that special day to make up for that screw-up that I know you recently did. Or you can buy something to make up for that screw-up that I know you're going to make in the future. Now, Dr. Vershuren, do you have any organization you'd like to report or donate to? No, I have nothing particular in mind. Okay. Uh, maybe later on I will come up with something, but at this moment I don't. Okay. Now, we've already talked some about an eternal universe. That's apparently not a problem for Aquinas. But one of the big theories today also is a multiverse. Would that be a problem? No, I, I would say definitely not. He, mm-hmm. he, he did not know about multiverse, of mm-hmm. course. But as I said before, he was very open. He said all we say about movements of planets and stuff like that are hypotheses. So, and it could be that we come up with another explanation. Well, where does the multiverse come from? Mm -hmm. From people like Stephen Hawking. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure Aristotle and uh, Aquinas had never heard of Stephen Hawking. (laughs) So, 
so why did Stephen Hawking come up with that idea? For it's really a, a, a concoction. I call it a concoction. That's all it is. Uh, he knows that there are physical constants, of course, that is modern science and physics. And those physical constants are in a very narrow range. And that has always baffled uh, scientists. We live in a planet that is very, in a universe that is very life-friendly. If, if, if something would have been a little bit off, there would have been no life. So, but for Stephen Hawking, that is all a matter of chance, randomness. So he comes up with an idea that says that we're, there was a plurality of universes. And he invents them on the spot. And one of them happens to be, by mere randomness and by mere luck, happens to be one like our universe that is very life-friendly. Mm. So by doing that, he avoids the problem that our universe may have been created, which he doesn't believe, and that there is a design behind it by the creator that makes it life-friendly. Mm. So, uh, again... To answer your question, uh, would that be a problem for Aquinas? I would say definitely not. For whether we have a multiverse, whether we have an eternal universe or a non-eternal universe, it is always dependent on God. He makes keeps it in existence. And without him keeping it in, the, in existence, there would not be any universe. Mm-hmm. And uh, whether there are many or not, I, I don't know. All I know is that the one that Stephen Hawking came up with is, is a mere concoction uh, hypothesis. We have no way of testing it. And so um, leave it for what it is, I would say basically worthless. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that is hard to say to a physicist. For phys- physicists think that they are also good philosophers. Mm-hmm. Einstein knew better. He said uh, most scientists are very poor philosophers. Thank you, Einstein, for saying that and acknowledging that. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of Christians today look at the theory of evolution and think that if evolution is true, we have a defeater for Thomistic thought. Do we? N- no. Mm-hmm. I would say definitely not. Um, on the one hand, Aquinas knew that we are animals. Mm-hmm. but he called us rational animals. So that was more a, a category that he placed us with. But he was very aware that we share many characteristics with animals. We all breed, feed, bleed, and excrete. But at the same time, he distinguishes them as unusual and very peculiar animals. So wh- wh- what, again, is the, the important point for Thomas Aquinas? Evolution offers us a scientific account of changes. Remember I said before, uh, science is about how things change, mm-hmm. but creation is about uh, what, why are these things here? Where do they ultimately come from? Creation is not a matter of changing things from nothing to something, but it is how things came into being, into essence, into existence. And and that's where Thomas Aquinas would always say the, the, the biological laws we have even in evolution or whatever, they are similar to the planetary motion laws that follow physical laws. So I don't think he would have any problem with modern evolution. Of course, he would have many questions because, again, biologists are sometimes poor philosophers. Uh, I said sometimes, that was very kind of me. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, But he would still say, hey, wait a minute, this conclusion is not correct and that conclusion is not correct. But his distinction between creation and evolution is important to make. Whether Whether we evolved or not, it doesn't matter. We depend on God through his creation at the moment he would not keep us any longer into existence we would not exist anymore mm-hmm. and evolution can't change that part uh, of course the, the, the problem is always um, how can we explain that an rational animal came out of the animal world if it if that happened um, my my next upcoming book is on that issue for that is a very high one because uh, many Darwinists 
people who follow Darwin or neo-Darwinists, they think that a, a rational animal is just a glorified animal. And I, I have my very deep doubts about that. And I would think that Thomas Aquinas would question that too. But again, that was not your uh, your question in general. I think he would not have a problem with evolution. Hmm. But how that evolution produced rational animals, that is a completely different issue. For again, that's where the question comes in, the form and the matter. Our Our body may have come from the animal world, but our form, which... In theology, we usually call soul or spirit or whatever word you use. That is a completely different issue. That is not a biological issue. It's not a material issue. It's not a scientific issue. Mm-hmm. So that's where I think he would say that's where we have to question uh, modern evolutionists, neo-Darwinians, etc. Yeah, we'd be glad to interview you again on your next book on this show. I think it'd be very fascinating to talk about. But go, go ahead. Oh, yeah. I, I will uh, I, I will notify you at the moment it's published. It will be published uh, next year by uh, Angelico Press. But Thank I will you. notify you. Thank you. And now let's uh, get to more of the questions about Aristotle. Now, Aristotle had these ideas of causes, different kinds of causes. Uh, what are they, and what do they have to do with science today? Yes, he um, again. He uh, he comes up with uh, universal principles. So he says there are. Uh, when we ask what is something, then we can give different explanations, which is a, a very deep insight, I would say. So he uses the example: of, What is this house? And we can distinguish at least four, five, or even six. Why? What is it? What is it made of? Who made it? And what is it for? And probably also, what was it made with? So he gives us at least four, five, or six sorts of answers. Because it is made of building material, that is the causal cause, the material cause. Mm -hmm. Because it's in the shape of a house, that is a formal cause, as he calls it. Because a builder built it, that's the efficient cause. Because it's meant to be lived in, that is the final cause. And because it was made with tools, that is the instrumental cause. And each cause gives us a different explanation of what things are. And I, in, in my book, I explained why those five, six questions are so, diff- so different and so important by focusing on DNA research. That's where it would... But I don't think I should bother you listeners and you and Nick with those distinctions. Uh, I, I show in the book, Aquinas and Modern Science, how important those, dis- those distinctions are. If we don't keep them clear in mind, we, we get very confused about DNA. And we think that DNA, the material cause, is all there is to it. No, there are also instrumental causes, final causes, formal causes, and efficient causes. Mm-hmm. And that only explains why DNA can do what it does. Most people think, oh, as long as we know the structure of DNA, the human genome project, then we are all done. We know who a human being is. We know exactly the DNA of that person, so we know everything. Wrong, 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 incorrect, incorrect, incorrect. That's where uh, I keep repeating Aquinas is vital for our understanding of science. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd like to let everyone know that before the show is over, we will be telling you how you can get a copy of this book. Now, final causality, oh, that's a big one. We're usually told final causality is dead. Yeah, that is that is something that is uh, very often said, especially by biologists. Mm. Biologists are, are, are afraid of final, because it, it gives them the impression that uh, um, that animals or hormones uh, make decisions, that they have goals in life. That that is not really what uh, Aquinas meant when he talked about a final cause. For him for him, a final cause is in modern terminology, like causes have like effects. The fact that those effects happen 
those are final causes. When a cause kicks in, the final cause automatically kicks in. Uh, things fall towards the earth. That happens because of the cause of gravity. That is the result of gravity. It's not some intended goal. So objects do not fall to the ground because that is their destination, let alone their purpose. But they do that because there is a cause and event effect. Mm-hmm. So uh, does that mean that biology has nothing anymore with a final cause? Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, a knife is still for cutting. A heart is for pumping. A pump is for pumping. Camouflage in the animal world is for deceiving. Just like a knife is for cutting and the eye lens is for seeing, for vision. Um, in that sense, there is still a final cause. Though most biologists are teleophobic because they are afraid of teleology. Teleology is causa finalis. Is there still a causa finalis? Oh, yes. Even after Darwin, if you believe in Darwin, or if you believe in his theory, a heart is still for pumping. Maybe the way it came along is different, but it's still for pumping. There is still a a goal, an end, not an intended goal, maybe, but there is definitely a goal. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, a final course is not over yet. A, a bird's wing is still for flying. But it could not fly if it did not follow aerodynamic laws. And a fish has still tools for steering and for swimming. But not if it did not feel hydrodynamic laws. Mm-hmm. So there is still design, there is still a goal uh, and that is a result of causes because we have a world that is based on cause and effect we have material causes and we have final causes and ultimately as Christians we say that is the result of the designer of this world, the creator of this world and then we come back into the issue creation and maybe something like evolution or something like that. Mm-hmm. Now, what does uh, Thomism say also about another debate today? The mind-body problem. Yeah, that is a, a huge issue, too, too huge to be discussed in a few minutes. But um, let, let me say this. We, we have become mind-body separated. Mm-hmm. Uh, thanks to, uh, thanks to, do to Descartes and people like that. So he puts our minds into the prison of the body. Um, He says we are like the the pilot in a ship. Aquinas would not agree with that. He said mind and body or matter and soul are completely in unity. There is no matter without a soul There is for us, for a human body, no body without a mind. And they are completely united. Uh, He tells them apart, but he does not set them apart. Mm -hmm. So he is not a a dualist, like uh, many of them are nowadays. He is what they call uh, an adherent of monism. They are in a tight unity. Unfortunately, that has forced some uh, neuroscientists into mind-body equalizers, as I call them, or mind-brain equalizers. The mind is nothing but the brain, or the brain is exactly the same as the mind. That is something where Aquinas would say, no, that is not so. It's not The brain is not an organ that we think with. It, it is not an organ that secretes thoughts. No, there is a unity between body and soul. It is not my eye that sees, he likes to say, but it is I who sees. It is not my intellect that thinks, but it's I who thinks. I would say in modern terminology, excuse me, it's not my brain that thinks, it is I who thinks. I, the person who is a unity of mind and body. That's why um, uh, we cannot understand the brain without the mind. Let me use an example. 
you cannot count what you are seeing without using your eyes. But that does not mean your eyes are doing the counting. Your eye is more or like what you probably would call an instrumental cause. Right. Similar, it's clear that we cannot understand without using our brains, but that does not follow that the brains are doing the understanding. They are at best instrumental causes again. Mm-hmm. So it's not my brain that thinks, it's I who thinks. Um, so that means that the brain cannot study itself. That, that would be a real miracle. That would mm-hmm. be like a copy machine copying itself. Mm-hmm. Why can we understand the brain? Because we have a mind. And without a mind, we cannot understand the brain. Mm-hmm. So neuroscientists are not mind readers, but brain readers. Mm-hmm. And they can read the brain thanks to their minds. Mm-hmm. Without the minds... We cannot read the brain. That's why anim- non-human animals like apes cannot study the brain because they don't have a human mind and a human soul. That is, a, in a nutshell, an answer to your question in, in terms of uh, Aquinas again, <laughs> our great master and our great teacher. Okay, one more question about Aquinas here. And yes, this one will have to be brief. But thankfully, it's an easy one. What can the government learn from Aquinas? Uh, uh, Again, Aquinas uh, is uh, a a Unitarian, if I may say that. Mm -hmm. He he combines uh, all kinds of views again. He does not treat a society as a collection of autonomous, pure egos without any connections. He does not take... Uh, society as a new entity, like a beehive. That is what uh, totalitarian governments do, or authoritarian ones. Uh, And then they consider citizens to be just living to advance the society, like ants and bees only exist to keep the colony alive. Aquinas is, again, a common sense philosopher. So he takes a middle position. Because a human being is not only a rational animal, but also a social animal. Individuals are real, on the one hand, but so is society in which they live together. Because they have a common goal, a social dimension, relationships, and that he calls the the common good, I think a very key, important concept in Aquinas thinking. We are more than the sum total of individual members. We are more like an organism. The whole is always more than the sum total of the part. So if one of the parts suffers, the totality suffers. And that's why the common good is so important for Thomas Aquinas and I think for our society. Well, um, Dr. Schoen, I'd like to thank you for coming on talking about this important book. Uh, do you have a, a blog, a website, an email, a way people can get in touch with you if they want to find out more? Yes, I, I, I do. Um, it is www, and then uh, separate words, where do we come from, separated by dashes or hyphens. Mm-hmm. Where dash do dash we come from, and all separated by dashes, mm-hmm. dot com. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is uh, probably the best place to go to to find all my books. You can also find my books uh, at Wikipedia under my name. Just type in Gerard, G-E-R-A-R-D, uh, and then my last name, Verschuren, V-E-R-S-C-H-U-U-R-E-N. Mm-hmm. I apologize for that long, awful name. Mm-hmm. It's a Dutch name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of like a Kierkegaard was, for instance, and such. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for comparing me with Kierkegaard. <laughs> that is a compliment, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> though it's only name-wise. Yeah. Well, uh, if anyone's interested, the book is Aquinas in Modern Science. Right now on Amazon, the Kindle version is eight ninety nine. A hardcover is thirty bucks, and the paperback is seventeen ninety five. Uh, Dr. Vashuin, do you have any final words you'd like to leave with a deeper water's audience today? Uh, 
Um, no, I, I just want to clarify that, that hardcover is really made for, for students. They usually okay. want hardcovers. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't go for the high price of that one, but that's uh, the publisher would probably like you to go for that, but mm-hmm. I won't. Um, it, it was a pleasure talking with you. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a, a very interesting program all the time. I, I looked at your catalog of issues. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they look fantastic to me. I, I hope that this is also uh, something that people will enjoy. I enjoy Aquinas, and I hope my um, enthusiasm about him came across. And thank you for your uh, enthusiasm about Thomas Aquinas, for he's a, a great master and teacher for us. Hmm. Well, thank you. Thank you. And I'd like to remind everyone that next week we're going to have Rebecca Limke on talking about her book, The Scarlet Virgins. Uh, thank you for coming on, Dr. Verschuren. I do hope we'll see you back here again sometime. Yeah, that would be my pleasure, too. I will let you know. Okay, for now, I'm Nick Peters, and I am signing off.